Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you again for joining us for another provocative, innovative, insightful, truthful, deep, um, above the board, no agenda conversations around responsible fatherhood, just the way we love it. Uh, My guests have been phenomenal um, since we've started this podcast. Um, Our numbers are steadily growing, and I thank each and every one of you, uh, particularly my return listeners, those of you who have listened to more than one podcast. I am appreciative of you, and I will ask that you continue to share I Am Dad podcast with others in your circle that are either dads looking for information to help them be better fathers or practitioners, researchers, or anyone else in the human service field that's looking to get some insight on what the responsible fatherhood field is about. Um, Some of the most brilliant minds in the space um, I've had on the show, and there's so hundreds of others that I will hopefully get to one day to hear their voices as well. Pioneers, folks that have been in this space for over 30, 35 years, um, new people who are just coming into the space, um, new friends and old friends like my guest today, Eugene Snayberg. He is a brother of mine. I get the pleasure sometimes to be around some of the most brilliant, passionate people um, in the space of responsible fatherhood. Um, and it's cool to be around um, folks that have the same passion that you have. And some sometimes and oftentimes the same similar stories that you have. But I'm going to introduce Eugene, and then we're going to go right into our conversation. You're going to enjoy um, this brother. I'm going to talk about um, how we met in a few minutes. But Mr. Eugene Snayberg is the president of Fathers Forward and the author of I Never Met My Father, My Journey from Fatherless to Fatherhood. And it's an award-winning and sought-after, he is an award-winning and sought-after speaker and trainer. Eugene is an expert at providing training in the fields of fatherhood, prisoner reentry, youth violence prevention, and faith-based partnerships. Eugene provided strategic advice to the White House office and to the U.S. Department of Justice after being appointed by President Barack Obama as the Director of Faith-Based Partnerships for the Justice Department. Eugene led DOJ's efforts as part of President Obama's Responsible Fatherhood Initiative and the My Brother's Keeper Initiative. This resulted in over $30 million in new grants for juvenile justice-involved young fathers and an increased focus on empowering parents within the Federal Bureau Bureau of Prisons. And today he works and we work alongside each other for the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse um, and other projects as well. How you doing, Eugene? Kenny, man, I'm doing amazing, my brother. I'm excited to be on the I Am Dad podcast. I've been checking you out. Man, I'm, I'm just, I'm blessed and I'm honest. So thanks for having me. 
So listen, Eugene has this new book out. Um, it is called um, I Never Met My Father, My Journey from Fatherless to Fatherhood. Make sure you check this out. We're going to give you the information on where you could purchase this book um, towards the end of the show. But I wanted to show this to you. Um, I am so proud of Eugene. Um, he's been around many of us who've been encouraged um, to tell our stories and tell our truth um, and to be able to allow those, the testimonies of our life to be the blessings in the people that we serve. Um, and this is just another extension um, of that. And so I just want to say to you, I'm proud of this particular, I'm, a prou I'm proud of a lot of accomplishments you've had. But this one in particular is a intense blessing that's going to pay itself forward for a very long time. How are you feeling about the book? I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling I'm feeling excited. It's, it was a labor of love as someone, Kenny, I know you've written several books um, and you're one of my inspirations uh, as an author um, to be able to birth it, to be able to finish it. Um, some people say, how long did it take you to write? I'd say with intentionality three years when I said okay I'm gonna write a book and this is gonna be the title and, and this isn't that about three three years but I would say probably 10 years of notes and journals and 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 introspection and even and even before that I really started writing my mother's story when I was in high school you know I had a lot of admiration for my mother as all sons do for raising my sister and I by herself and so the book is really a summation of my journey um my my over 20 year journey searching for my dad and uh, i'm just so grateful that it's out there um you know i'm grateful for those like you kenny who have supported it bought it in bulk giving it to dads i'm just really really grateful yeah thank you so much i'm glad that you mentioned you know the 20 year journey because that's where i want to start that's going to lead me into all other places in this conversation um, Eugene has a very unique story, and I remember him and I talking about his story. He now feels like, bro, over 10 years ago. It feels close, um, close to 10 years ago. You and I had this conversation. The first time, I believe the first time I met you was, um, I'm sure I saw you at the White House, but the first time we actually had a conversation was when we were in L.A., um, at the boys club with um, Michael Strutmanis and, and Joshua Dubois. And we were with uh, Lou Gossett Jr. and his dad um, yep. L.A. moving this responsible fatherhood stuff. And I think that was the first time that you and I actually had an extensive conversation um, and became friends after that. Um, but walk us through a little bit um, the origins of your relationship with your father that has led you to do this work and the passion that you're so deeply involved in. Yeah, so um, I won't give away the whole book, Kenny, but I'll just say my mom and dad hooked up in the 70s. I use that term loosely hooked up. Um, <laughs> I was conceived. My mother's Jewish American. My father's African American. That's why they were never married. And I have my mother's maiden name. That's where you get Schneeberg from. Um, and when I was growing up in Boston, late 80s, early 90s, crack epidemic, gangs going crazy. Um, most of my friends, almost all my friends' dads weren't in the home. And so the fact that my dad wasn't in the home didn't really, it didn't dawn on me that, that I was somehow different. As I got a little older, I started realizing, okay, this friend sees his dad on the weekends. This dad sees his, this, mom, this friend sees his dad in the summertime. This dad 
might spend a week with his dad and then a week with his mom. And and all the while, I'm I'm not seeing my dad at all. I I didn't know my dad's uh, what he looked like. I had never seen a picture of him. I knew his name, first and last name, and that was about it. So when I got a little older, I think fatherless ch- children start to ask questions about their dad at differing points, right? For me, I was probably about eight or nine when I said to my mom, like, where's my dad? You know, like for the first time. And uh, she told me how they met. He was a Vietnam vet. He came back traumatized from the war. He struggled with mental illness. Um, I was conceived. Um, when, when, when she found out she was pregnant with me, um, she actually, they had already, before she knew she was pregnant, they had already kind of separated and gone in separate ways. He came back about a year later and she was like, surprise, mm. <laughs> um, you have a child. And at first he was like, uh, this is the way she tells the story. Oh, like obviously surprised and say, hey, you know, can I support? Can I get you some baby clothes? That type of stuff. And my mother's been through a whole bunch of trauma. She didn't know him well. And she basically said, thank you, but no thank you. I can, I can, as Tyler Perry says, I can do better all by myself. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of stopped picking up his calls. This was in 1978. I'm a newborn. Eventually moved. This is before the advent of the internet. And so they, they that was the last time they spoke uh, over 40 years ago. And so that, so she raised my sister and I by herself. And uh, I started asking questions like this about 35 years ago about my dad. My first attempt to look for him was in the phone book, right? This is this is pre-Google, right? Pre-Facebook. Opened the phone book. His last name is Graham. Went to the letter G. And as an eight-year-old, I said, I'm going to call every Graham in this phone book until I find my father. So I go alphabetically, you know, Aaron Graham or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I go to pick up the phone. This is back in the days you had to, you know, do this one, right? And something happened, Kenny. I was petrified. At eight years old, I was going to call a, a perfect stranger and ask them, are you my dad? Do you know my dad? And call, hunt, make hundreds of those calls at eight years old. And I just I hung up the phone. I never made any calls, Kenny. Um, and that's when I first learned how to really begin to suppress the feelings I had about my father. Cause I didn't want to feel that feeling of fear or, um, insecurity and so forth. And it, it took a real toll on me for the next 10, 15 years, but I always had this deep burning inner desire to know my father, know about my father, find out if I had siblings, did he remarry? Did he think about me? I had so many questions and it lingered. It lingered after I got married. It lingered after I became a dad. I got four kids now. It lingered in my 30s and into my 40s, even as a professional, even at the White House. And so um, in in the end, I was able to track down my dad and his side of the family. And we can talk more about that. I covered the whole um, journey in the book, but that's a little bit of background. Yeah, no, that was good. That was perfect, bro. That was perfect. Um, It actually led right into a couple of questions that I had. Because one of the things, even, you know, in the spaces that our stories are a little different, there are some similarities in the stories. One of the similarities in the story is this kind of uh, area where mom is involved. And I know that um, the epiphany that I came to um, when I began to do this work and began to elevate this conversation of fatherhood 
in the uh, view of my mom, who I didn't realize were was having some feelings and issues as a result of me um, amplifying the fact that I didn't have my dad. Yeah. Kind of, I want to say, I'll, I'll use the word as opposed to using the word force her to speak, encourage her to speak um, and tell me some things about him that I didn't know. But the question I have for you, when you think about your mom and you, and you talk about asking the question, like, did it ever occur to you to think about why she did not say anything to you about him unquestioned? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, moms have a natural maternal protective instinct. And um, I think her, her having been through the various traumas she's been through, um, I think she thought if he does connect with his dad, he may harm my child, right? Not that there was a reason to believe that, but but that's what she thought. And knowing how my mother's wired, even when I started asking questions, she would say, she never discouraged me from looking for him, but she said, if you find him, be careful. Don't meet meet him in a public place. You know what I'm saying? She had she told me stories of, of moms that she knew where the dad had abducted the child and things like that. And so that was in the back of her mind. I think mothers, um, and I've, I've met many over the years, um, and as you have, Kenny, um, sometimes feel like if they don't ask, I'm not going to tell, right? Um, I'm, I'm, they feel like I'm doing a great job as a mother. I'm the mo- How many times have you heard this? I'm the mother and the father, mm-hmm. right? If you ask my mother, that's what she'll say. So she, you know, I'm, I'm providing for you. I'm cooking your meals. I'm you know, cleaning after, up after you're behind. I'm going to work. I'm doing all the things I need to do to take care of this household. Why do you need him? And a lot of mothers feel that way. Like, I'm, I'm enough. And it's not to say that my mother wasn't enough. She definitely did the best she could. But there still was something missing, even though she did the best she could. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that, you know, impacted my mom and I, you know, once she told me that truth and, and she actually... Um, took another step and went to find my father's wife, who he had married. Um, And she shared with my mother a bunch of papers and pictures and things that um, she had with my mom, and my mom sent those papers to me. And so it gave me the ability to learn some things about him that I didn't know, um, that he served in the military um, in the war, um, that he was a deacon in his church, um, he was a Sunday school teacher. Um, he was beloved by his community, right? He was beloved by his family. I also have six other brothers and a sister from his marriage that I don't know to this day. I've met before, but have absolutely no contact with them today. Yeah. And part of that story, um, while it was comforting to kind of know that there was another narrative about my father um, infuriated me because he wasn't a bad dad. And what yeah. I felt she was um, perpetuating was the narrative in my head that I was building on my own that mm-hmm. he was a bad dad for not being in my life. Did you experience any of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I think uh, particularly, I'm going to say as a young man of color, but I, I think it transcends, you know, race, ethnicity. I think there is a narrative that a lot of fathers are absent. They'd be dads. They're, they're gone because they wanted to be gone, right? And as a result, especially as young men, there's like this resentment that builds up in us, this anger that builds up in us at our, towards our fathers. And we make up this story in our head when we don't have the complete picture. This dude is a loser. This dude is a lame, you know. He, he didn't man up. He didn't do what he's, you know what I'm saying? And we get this, this rage inside us. Um, part of the challenge with that is sometimes we just don't have the complete picture. We don't know what he went through. We don't know what his relationship was with, or I didn't know with his with, with my mom. So I had this, I wanted to be angry with my dad as a teenager. And then when I became a young adult and I actually realized, well, my mom actually played a role in gatekeeping. My mom actually was the one who, if you really look at it, made that decision. Now, God bless my mother. I love my mother. I'll do anything for my mother. She's 80 years old. She lives with me most of the time um, out of the year. And she'll tell me to this day, one of her biggest regrets, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I kept your father from you. You know what I'm saying? And I tell him, I don't worry about it. You did the best that you could in, the, in that moment. You made the decision that you thought was in my best interest. And looking back, my father had all kinds of issues, right? All kinds of issues. And so who knows? We can't never go back. But I just, I just want to affirm mothers that are listening, Kenny, that are doing their best to raise their children by themselves. Um, but I do think there's a, there is a place to make room for your children to have an avenue to connect with their fathers in a safe and healthy way. It's not going to be easy, but it's important. And I know firsthand, and that's why I wrote the book, because um, I know there's thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of young people that wrestle with this challenge. They have questions about their father. Their father's not around. And I hope that in reading the book, folks will get some of the answers and some encouragement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I, I remember when you sent me the uh, manuscript of the book and I made a comment back to you and I challenged Eugene on a word that he was using, that he uses in his title, um, a word that I've now come to um, eliminate from my vocabulary because it sets a different framework in, in terms of how we think about this work of responsible fatherhood. Um, and it's the word fatherless. Um, and one of the things I said to Eugene was, you know, I, 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 I know what he's talking about. I push back from that word because one, there is no such thing as a fatherless child. Um, the reason that the pain is so pronounced is because there's no such thing as a fatherless child, that a father exists. The question is never if he exists, the question is where he exists. But if you never ask the question, where is he? You make the assumption that he doesn't exist, but it's the mere fact that he is so powerful in your heart, that is what creates the level of pain when it's missing. And so, and I think that um, part of where I've learned that and been able to kind of, cause I've evolved, we've, we all evolve. And that's why I didn't push too hard because I know I even had to evolve in my own journey at the same time, doing this work we do within the field of responsible fatherhood, which is the other element of this story that you and I share together. 
that there was a has been a large part of this work I did in pain, in father absence, pain. Um, and it took time to go through working this to kind of understand some things that I didn't understand about myself. As you were doing this work with the White House and now with the Clearing House and with your own company, uh, prior to actually finding him and going through this process, how were you navigating the conflict between being Eugene, the guy that's going to help people who were dealing with father absence and fatherlessness, and at the same time having your own pains and, uncomf and, and uncomfortable measures not being settled in your own uh, relationship with your father? And you ask good questions, Kenny. Um, I think about, I think it was W.E.B. Du Bois who talked about the issue of the color line and this concept of double consciousness. As a, as a Black person in America, there's a consciousness that I'm American, but I'm also Black. And we, we deal with this. We're constantly conscious of this, this dichotomy in our head. For me, I have my own double consciousness, which is I'm, I'm, I'm a father. Right. So I'm investing all this time and energy in my wife and my children and being the best father that I can be in large part because I wanted to give them everything that I never had. Um, but I'm still dealing with this hurt and unresolved issues um, from my childhood. And it's it's like I said, it wasn't going away. Right. And the more fortunately, when I met you, Kenny, um, heard your story, been able to, you know, been tag along on your career for the past 10, 10 plus years, um, the more I got opportunity to talk to others and I realized I wasn't alone, which is huge because a lot of times as young men and boys, we feel like we're the only one going through it. When you meet other men who realize, oh, I also struggle with this. I also had that challenge. This is how I overcome. I was able to provide, to receive some healing and some hope and encouragement. So definitely it's a challenge. It's, it's definitely a challenge to do this work because um, because sometimes it's that little boy inside you that's still not fully fully healed. Mm. So you go along this journey and you you let it go. And as you, I love the term you use, which is you really began to learn how to suppress those feelings that you had about him. And then there's this moment that we all have in our lives that becomes awakened and we begin to make different decisions based on whatever circumstances are going on in our lives. And I remember another conversation you and I had, and I don't know where we were when we had this conversation, but I remember you distinctly saying to me, yo, Ken, I'm thinking about looking for my dad. And I was like, yo, that's, 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 that's hot. That's yeah. Do that. Um, what was that process like? You know, when you began to sit down and you say to yourself, I'm going to go and look for him now. Like, how do you how did you plan for that? What was your thoughts in terms of how you were going to accomplish that goal? Well, I would say, man, my journey was 30. I'm, I just turned 45 this week. So I started looking for my dad before I was 10. So what's that? 35 years now. The first attempt in the phone book only lasted about 30 seconds, right? <laughs> um, that suppressed period where I just said, I'm not going to think about this dude. I'm just going to be a teenager. I'm going to just, you know, and I struggled as a teenager. I didn't have the discipline. I didn't have the structure. 
I, I really struggle. Everything, all those um, risk factors that we talk about in the fatherhood space, that was me. Like almost every single one, right? Dropped out of high school, poor mm-hmm. academic performance, delinquency, all those things um, without dad in my life. Um, so fast forward, now I'm in my 20s. I think I might be, I'm engaged. I'm thinking about like I'm the age where I can be a dad. Um, now it'd be, it's like hit me full, you know, especially like that first Father's Day when you're like a real father and you like have a Father's Day. I don't know if you remember this, Kenny, but I didn't know when Father's Day was. I didn't know Father's Day was a, was a thing for years, probably till I was 20. I didn't know there was a Father's Day. Mm. There was no, I, I didn't have a father. I didn't think about it. I knew Mother's Day. But if you ask me what month Father's Day was, I couldn't tell you until I was in my 20s. Now I became a dad, of course, because I wanted my gifts. But anyway, <laughs> um, so in so then I'm like an open book. You know that, Kenny. So I, I had a support group. I had some brothers that I was building with, some prayer and accountability brothers in my 20s. And I would just tell them, man, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. You know what I'm saying? This is something I'm, I'm wrestling with. Man, these brothers went ahead and without me knowing, put some money together and hired a private investigator for me to help look for my dad. Blew me away, man. Brought me to tears, man. The fact that these brothers cared about me enough and they knew this was such a deep issue for me. So I worked with the private investigators, gave them the limited information I had. Guess what? They came back and said, we don't have enough information. We've narrowed it down to a hundred possible people, but it's just without a social security number, date of birth, you know, middle name, we just don't have enough information. So that crushed me. Mm-hmm. Then then uh, the internet's invented, then Facebook comes around. I'm like, okay, people are like, oh, look on Facebook. Looking on Facebook for this person, no luck, man. I'm friending everybody on Facebook that has his name and that's a black man and, you know, in the 60s, in his 60s. Then my brother was a police officer. He'll remain nameless and his jurisdiction will remain nameless. But someone, that I know uh, had access to, you know, a driver's license database. And uh, they looked up all the, you know, my father's names in, in this particular state, no success. I ended up calling one, two, two, two men that had my father's name, awkward conversations, talk about being afraid of having these conversations, anxiety, worry, doubt, you know, overwhelming. It wasn't him though. Um, and then Kenny, later on, when we started having a conversation, um, my, my enthusiasm always ebbed and flowed. Around Father's Day, it was really high. Like, I'm going to find this dude. I'm going to connect with him. And I had this picture in my mind, like, it's going to be picture perfect. I'm going to hug him. I'm going to give him a kiss. He's going to be handsome. He's going to tell me all the things that I wanted to hear, how he proud of me he was. And and how, why he wasn't around, but da 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 da. And I had these siblings, and I thought it was gonna be this was the fantasy I was playing out in my head. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't end up that way, but um, it definitely ebbed and flowed. And sometimes I just didn't care, right? And sometimes I was brought to tears. I'll tell you one movie that that wrecks me every time I watch it Antoine Fisher. Wow, yeah, I saw you mention that in your book. Destroys me, just the hurt, the raw pain. That Antoine Fisher, the, the the absence of both his father and his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I felt that pain, carried that pain in a real tangible way for a long, long time, shed many tears. Um, but 
But the journey was, was it was it was about the journey. It really was. It wasn't about finding him as much because by the time I was able to, to connect, he had already passed away. But it was really about the journey. And I did find out like you, Kenny, I have siblings on his side. I've been able to talk to them. Um, fortunately, I've been able to talk to my aunt and uncle who are still alive and they've told me stories and shared pictures. And I traveled down to your neck of the woods to uh, Columbus, Georgia this summer and was able to meet my father's brother and sister for the first time and brought my three sons with me, powerful. And the first thing they did when they when I walked in the door in Columbus, Georgia, they handed me this eight and a half, um, eight by 10 picture of my dad when he enlisted in the army. And so he's like 18 years old, handsome as all get out in his uniform. And it was really the first clear picture of him that I had in my possession. Mm. Uh, and at a young age when his features were really clear and you know what I'm saying? And he resembles me. And that's, I, I don't know, Kenny, but, but people who are watching this, who, who have never seen a picture of their father, um, it, it, it gave me this real um, powerful feeling that I look like my father. It was important for me to know, do I look like my father? Do, is there somebody out there? Is there a man that, that, that um, I came from, right? Because I didn't know anything about the man, not, not anybody on his side of the family for years. And now I have, the, the puzzle is coming together more clearly and my aunt and uncle have been great. My cousins are so great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's one of the cool things that I like about your book, that the pictures, pictures are tell a thousand words. And I saw that picture um, of your dad and and then I thought about, because I have that picture, that was one of the pictures that was in that package that my mom gave me, was a picture of my dad. And when she showed me, I remember showing it to Tracy. And Tracy said, my God, you guys look like twins. And it, mm-hmm. the picture was in black and white. But it was like, every time I look at the picture, I'm like, well, to your point, it's like, yes, I look like this dude. Um, and I am this dude. And thank God, you know, outside of the lack of relationship, you know, thank God for his presence in my mother's life long enough to give me life, right? I got to be thankful for that. That's, I think that is why God's commandment is about um, honoring our mothers and fathers and not abs- not liking them. Um, we don't have to like them. God doesn't say like them. He says honor them. And there's a reason for that honor. But I wanted to, you you, you said something which kind of leads, man, I, I think I wrote these questions down perfectly because you're leading right into them. It's probably because I just know the story and narrative, um, not only yours, but it's, it's a similar thread that goes through many people's um, stories when it comes to this. But I want you to talk a little bit, you talked about taking your three sons with you down to um, Columbus to meet um, their uh, relatives. Um, And I know um, I've met your wife, um, beautiful. Um, Eugene just got, he has one, you got like, if, if, if Ebony was still around, you and your family would be on the cover of Ebony. You ever seen an Ebony picture and they have a family on it and you look at it and be like, yo, that's dope. <laughs> that's, that's what I see. And that but one picture that I've seen you post every now and then 
is in your book, and it's the picture I'm talking about. It looks like that picture that was taken at. Are you old enough to know Woolworths? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, remember, yeah. The, remember the Easter pictures at Woolworths? Mm-hmm. That's what that. Yeah. Picture <laughs> how did you how how did you navigate you individually walking through this space, and then collectively walking through it with your family? More importantly, with your wife. Yeah, yeah. And and if you, as you know, Kenny, in the book, man, I talk a lot about relationships. I talk a lot about marriage. Um, I talk a lot about, there's a chapter about being a great dad, even though you didn't have one, right? Because sometimes there's this, this uh, thought that, okay, we repeat the cycle, right? And sometimes we do repeat the cycle, but there's, there's some intentionality that you can put into practice to, to break that cycle and, and break it for, for good. So fortunately, man, I met my beautiful wife, Dee, when we were teenagers. And I, I talk a lot about this in the book. Her father was such an extraordinary man, um, Pastor Warren Collins. He became my father. When my biological father wasn't there, I didn't know where he was. I had never met him. He was the first man to really affirm me, to really tell me, You're, he had five biological sons and an adopted son, right? So six sons. I was his um, seventh son. And uh, he would tell me that. I would call him on Father's Day. He's the first man that I called dad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, meant, and meant it and, and felt good about it, right? And when I, when I had struggles and challenges as a dad, as a new husband, right, which we all do, I would call him, hey, dad, I messed up. I missed it today. I overreacted. I, you know, I said something harsh. And he would give me wise counsel. And so it was such a blessing to have him. Um, but but fortunately, I met my wife when I was young. We were both teenagers. We've been married. Uh, next year, will be 20 years together, 30 years. Um, so she's seen every part of me, right? She's seen the good and the bad and the ugly. She's seen me cry. She's seen me depressed. She's seen me up and down and struggling at the White House and everything in between. Um, and so she's... She's just been a steady, constant encouragement and support in my journey looking for him, right? And we could talk about it and I could be honest about what I was going through. So I'm just so grateful for her. Um, when I messed around and had some kids, um, I know what I was doing, right? I was just, there's no manual on it. And so when I, when I were young, I remember them doing family tree exercises and daycare and then in kindergarten and so forth. You got to make a family tree. Well, guess what? Um, when I was young and I did a family tree, I only had half a tree came. Mm. I, I had literally down the middle, I had my, I knew my mother's side of the family. I knew my maternal grandfather and grandmother and my maternal cousins and uncles and so forth. No tree. The tree had no limbs, no, no branches, no leaves on that side. So when my kids got old enough to do their family tree, they had three quarters of the tree. Mm. And they had questions, and I knew they were gonna have questions. And they would just ask me these childlike questions. Where's your dad? Who's your daddy? Mm-hmm. Who's my grandfather? And they know Papa, they know my wife's father, but they, and I would be honest with them. Daddy doesn't know his father. Daddy's never met his father. And so as they got old in age appropriate ways, I would talk to them about it. I said, daddy doesn't know his father, but daddy loves you. Daddy's always gonna be here for you. Mm-hmm. And so in my, this is my dad's name. And this is what I know about my dad. 
And so when I got older and I started looking for them and I started calling men with the same name and stuff, they were, they were right there. They were watching when I started writing the book and told them the title and so forth. And then I started talking about my experience. Probably when I first started um, teaching in church, Kenny, my first sermon was on, on fathers. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It just was so in me. You know how the word says, how the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. And probably my first sermon through my 10th sermon was all on fathers. <laughs> and then my pastor started to say, okay, it's Father's Day. We know who's going to speak this year. On, on, you know. <laughs> and um, so it was just so in me. I think that's why I said I started writing the book because it was just coming out of an overflow. So it's it's been wild, but I'm really grateful for my wife and my children being there. And I think they have a greater appreciation, as I'm sure your children, Kenny and KJ and your daughters, um, they they have a greater appreciation for the importance of fathers just because of your journey and, and what you do. You had the pleasure of, you know, one of the things, um, you know, me and Patrick are envious of you in this space and that you got the chance to meet President Barack Obama and for the first time and then several times and you even got proof that you you met no Photoshop going on. You got, you got, you got, you got photos <laughs> and, and we don't have them. So him and I are still hot about that, that we never got a chance to, 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 to meet him. And I always say to him one day, do one day we'll get his attention um, and we'll get to meet him. And so, you know, what was it like, you know, being called by his administration to represent you know, the work of responsible fatherhood within the Department of Justice, knowing at the same time you're struggling with your own, trying to figure out where your own fatherhood, where your father sat in your life, and now you're being asked by the President of the United States um, to represent his office, you know, around the country in fatherhood. What was that like knowing um, who Barack Obama was and the kind of dad he was and wanted to be? When uh, When I first got to Washington, um, I remember feeling like this sense of uh, like a imposter syndrome because I, I had all these insecurities, right? Was I good enough? Was I worthy to be there? Um, but what I learned after being there for six years and helping to conceptualize and implement about $30 million in new programs that continue to be appropriated today, um, year after year, in the tune of about $5 million a year, um, that I was supposed to be there that it, it was God's providence that I was there. It was his favor. Um, and it wasn't long after I got to D.C., moved from Boston, that I was asked to work on the President's Fatherhood Initiative. My close friend and our close friend, um, Kenny Joshua Dubois, was senior leader at the White House. He knew my story. We've known each other since we were young. He knew the passion and the pain I had associated with my father. And, I, and I, I often share this quote that your greatest pain is your greatest gift. And for me, the, my greatest pain was growing up without my father. And Joshua knew that. He said, That's, we need him on the fatherhood initiative. We need someone that, that has passion, that this is personal. This is not an academic exercise, right, mm-hmm. um, in policy formation. And so when I was invited to the table with Michael Stratmanis at the White House, and I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm at the White House. This is crazy. Um, <laughs> But but it made it a little easier knowing Barack Obama's story and knowing that even though he had risen to the highest heights as president of the United States, the first black president, gone Harvard educated. Um, 
but that he could relate to, to me in the sense of knowing how it felt to grow without his father. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, that made him a human being. That made him personal, personable. And I did have the good fortune of meeting him several times. And he operates with a level of humility. And I, and I respect that. And no matter where you are on the political spectrum, right? Some people love that man. Some people can't stand him. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's anybody that can argue that he doesn't love his two daughters mm-hmm. and that he doesn't love his wife. And so for me, um, that that gets my respect as a man and as a father and as a husband. So it was great, great to have the opportunity to work on his initiative. He certainly was super supportive. And, and if had it not been for him, we wouldn't have met. You remember us meeting in L.A. with Lou Gossett Jr. I remember coming to one of your first fundraisers in Brooklyn one of the community and it was like and uh the, the basketball player was there kenny, kenny, anderson. kenny anderson yep and uh you up there and you said i think you started crying kenny no shit because i crying was a powerful element but i think you said um god told me that that he was gonna open doors and god told me he was gonna provide and uh and look what he's done. And you were just celebrating the goodness of God and what how he had sent in. At that time, you had just been awarded the Father Clearing House. Now you've had it for over 10 years and expanded and killing it and moved to Atlanta and just, and, and one thing I know about God and one thing I know about you is that God is faithful and you are a man who, who knows how to follow God and, and take a vision and bring that thing into fruition. So I'm just grateful to, to learn from you um, and pick up so much from you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I also remember us being at, but this was after, um, I think we were, I can't remember, I think we were in DC um, with Dwayne Wade. Remember that? We had a meeting with Dwayne Wade. Um, was that in Orlando? That was Orlando. That was Orlando? Thought it was yeah. DC. Thought it was at the, um, Thought it was at the, uh, no, that might have been the second time I was with Dwayne. Um, I was with him at um, the CB, the Congressional Black Caucus. Um, this was right after, this is right when I wrote my book and he wrote his book. Um, and we were on a panel together with um, Eton Thomas and, um, and um, uh, Rucker. Rucker. And somebody else was on that panel. Oh, yeah, Lamar Rucker was on that panel as well. Um, question for you about the book. Um, how and what would you say to someone or advise them in wanting to tell them tell their story um, talk to me a little bit about how to um, to encourage them to go and do it stop thinking about it and just picking up the pen, pen and beginning to write your story yeah man I <laughs> I, uh, I was fortunate that I'm around a lot of authors, right? Uh, I'm around you, Kenny. I'm around David Miller, Patrick Patterson. And so um, it's almost like, it's like a norm. You guys have created this standard. Um, and I was just fortunate to be around y'all. And so when I started to feel discouraged, I was able to get encouragement from you all, uh, particularly David Miller. Um, I would say, if you have, if you can connect with someone that has already done what you're aspiring to do, that that's a plus. Um, 
And David was really great in terms of walking me through step by step. This is how you, this is how you get an editor. This is how you do formatting. This is how you do book cover design. Um, all of those elements, right? But in terms of picking up the pen and discour- discouragement, I definitely went through my my ups and downs of that's why it took me three, at least three years to write this thing, man. Um, I would say don't try and get it perfect up front. Like there's no perfect books, there's no perfect people. Don't try and write the perfect book. Just write. Just write. Just and it doesn't have to be in, in a in a book form initially. Just write little notes, you know what I'm saying? But keep it all together in one place. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's on your computer, your phone, or on a journal, keep it all together. Get it down on paper and then begin to structure your thoughts. Because that's how I did. I had this here and then there and this there. I didn't write, uh, you know, just one straight continuous thought, you know? I would ask my, I would write down questions and then answer those questions or write down prompts and, and write. And, and then I started categorizing, organizing into a coherent Mm-hmm. Um, the three sections of the book with the nine chapters and stuff and then get you a good editor who can cover up you know you know I had all kinds of grammatical errors and all of that and and uh, thank, thank God for, for um, my editor uh, Lori in North Carolina she did a phenomenal job David Miller connected me with her mm. What can people expect when they purchase I Never Met My Father, My Journey from Fatherless to Fatherhood? What can people expect when they purchase the book? Yeah, I think you're going to get a little bit of everything, Kenny. You're going to get um, you're going to get some emotion. I think you're going to laugh when I talk about meeting the president for the first time and making a fool of myself in front of him. I think you're going to, and I talk about telling myself all the, the, the missteps I've taken as a dad. Um, so I'm brutally honest in the book. I think you're going to be encouraged when you realize that um, even when you think you're at your darkest state, that there's hope, there's encouragement. I think you're going to be um, touched when you hear the story of a little boy and his fears and insecurities. And, and um, I think you'll leave inspired and challenged um, to do more. At the end of every chapter, there's a fatherhood challenge. And I try and and be as practical as possible in the book. I think you'll take away some real strategies, some things you can put into practice in your own family, with your children, with your spouse, um, and in your community. Well, I thank you um, for your contribution to the narrative of this work. Um, I think it is on time. It is perfect. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. It's all those things. And I counting a blessing and a pleasure that you're my friend. I really, really do. Um, I'm proud of you. And I know that we got, as far as much as we've done, we got so much more to do. <laughs> and so there's so many folks that are out there that are still struggling um, with um, the levels of father absence that they have in their lives and trying to reconcile those things and and live and be what we would describe as quote unquote normal, right? They're trying to be normal, but they got this thing in their system and their spirit that won't allow them to move forward in some areas of their lives. And I think that books like this um, and the work that we do are the things that many of those folks need in their lives. They just need to connect with someone else um, so that they don't feel like you described earlier alone. 
that someone else is going through this and that you can't, what this, the scripture says is the other thing I love about your book. Um, he uses scripture in his book um, extremely appropriately and in the right places, saying the right things. Um, and the one scripture that I always lean on in my life is weepeth, I think it's weepeth may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Um, and then there's the proverb just says, this too shall pass. I don't know if that's actually scripture, but this too shall pass. <laughs> you know, because sometimes we'll throw scripture on, on a saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is like, that ain't nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> so thank you so much, Eugene. I appreciate you. I love you to death. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it, as my good friend Bishop Ferguson would say. Tell everybody how they can get in touch with you and purchase the book. Absolutely. Um, so the best way to get the book is at the website, I never met my father.com. Um, you can reach out on Instagram at um, uh, just my name, Eugene Schneeberg. Um, and so the best place again, is just www.fathers. I never met my father.com. Oh, thank you so much. Listen, thanks all of you for listening to another episode of I Am Dad podcast with my guest today, Mr. Eugene Snayberg. Again, his book is called I Never Met My Father, My Journey from Fatherless to Fatherhood. Make sure you pick this up. Make sure you get copies. Hey, holiday is coming up. Make sure you pick them up and give them to a friend. You know, we ain't always got to give away things to people that will give them pleasure, but sometimes we need to give people gifts that give them healing. Um, be a part of that. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week, same time, same place, right here on your favorite podcast platform, I Am Dad Podcast. Have a great week. God bless. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time. I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.